0: What's good, Ohio? I'm your host, James Hayes, and this is the What's Good, Ohio podcast, where we talk to the activists, organizers, visionaries, and good troublemakers coming together to make our state better for everyone, no exceptions. Today, I'm joined again by Sarah Rodenberg from Policy Matters, Ohio. Hey, what's good, Sarah?
1: Hey, James, how are you doing? It's a beautiful day in central Ohio. Finally got a little bit of break from the humidity. Uh, and nothing else too exciting to report, but it's good over here.
0: That's Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a Monday we're recording this, so I just came off a weekend. I'm trying to think, would I do anything fun this weekend? Oh yeah, we took Felix, my three-year-old, to uh, a creek. He loves, he loves a creek. He likes to throw rocks into the creek. The bigger, the better. And uh, we're also he he is now potty trained, so in the middle of it, he, t- he said, "I need to poop," and we were like, "Oh no, we're at a creek," and uh, <laughs> he was like, "I'll just go into the trees," and I was like, "Man, what do we, what do your grandparents do with you?" And I was like, all right. We're gonna go, and we we found uh, we found a friend who didn't live too far away. We we made it in time, but yeah, it was a, it was a good weekend. Um, glad to be back with you for another episode of What's Good Ohio. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing on Cleveland uh, with an exciting ballot initiative that will be on the ballot in Cleveland on November 7th. Uh, People's Budget Cleveland, or PBCLE, is a grassroots campaign to enable Cleveland residents to have real power to make real decisions about how 2% of the city's annual budget gets spent in their neighborhoods. We're joined today by Molly Martin and Andre White from PBCLE to speak about the campaign. Welcome. How are y'all doing?
2: I'm doing fine, James. And I understand your three-year-old because I have a six-year-old and I have a nine-year-old and wait till that three-year-old gets six years old. It's going to drive your hair straight up. So I understand. (laughs)
0: Looking forward to that. I can't wait for those days. He's already got my hair turning white. So if I still have (laughs) hair by then, I'll be, that'll that'll be a win. We'll take that as a win. How are you doing, Molly?
3: Hey, I'm doing good. Fun fact, if you go to pvclee.com you'll see Andre's two kids holding the People's Budget Banner. They're very cute. Um, I'm doing pretty well. This past week, I played my violin in a wedding gig, and it's nice to have uh, supplemental income when you're an organizer. <laughs> um, but I was happy to hear last week Andre's son started playing the violin, and so I think yes. I might have a yes. kid to give lessons to soon. That's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful.
0: No, that's great to hear. My my aunt is a cellist, so I'm, I'm very much a yeah, pro, pro classical music. It's a it's, it's a good it's a good thing, especially for the youth to get into. Um, well, thank you both for joining us uh, to talk about PB Clee and the campaign that y'all have going on. Um, there's been a lot that y'all have done this summer to get to this point, point. Um, and so yeah, I think we just kind of wanted to begin this conversation by taking a step back and asking you sort of about the history of PB in Cleveland, um, uh, whether, you know, about, about the history of particip- participatory budgeting in Cleveland, in particular, I know the campaign is uh, the people's budget, but it's our understanding that there's some experience that y'all have with actually running a pilot program in the city, and and this wouldn't be the first foray into in, into participatory budgeting. So I was just kind of wondering if you could sort of give us some grounding, give some context about um, the history of this issue in the city and sort of how we got here uh, today.
3: Sure thing. Um, like a lot of social justice movements, I feel like a lot of new things are born out of crisis and in Cleveland in particular, right around the time that, that COVID struck in 2020, there was a group of residents and groups involved in some grassroots organizing here in Cleveland, uh, specifically in the black environmental space and uh homelessness activism and uh, the creative community that came together and said, wow, Cleveland's getting half a billion dollars from the federal government in response to the pandemic. How are residents of the city of Cleveland going to be centered in some of that decision making, especially because Cleveland got such a huge chunk of that ARPA money because it's the biggest large city in the country. And a lot of folks who you know have lived in cleveland for a long time or are working you know with people experiencing homelessness or doing their own grassroots organizing in their neighborhood have found when they've done you know Their own effort to get civically engaged oftentimes by the time the community is asked for input, it's at the end of the process and decisions have already been made. And a lot of what PB Clee came together around was this idea that people should be involved from the very beginning and have an actual seat at the table and how decisions that impact their lives get made. And so we take the budget budget pretty seriously. We see that as our city's moral document. And um, our group over the last two years has been or have been organizing residents across all of Cleveland's 32 neighborhoods on this process called participatory budgeting. We used to be called Participatory Budgeting Cleveland, but when we launched our ballot initiative campaign this spring, we changed our name to People's Budget Cleveland because we listened to residents in the last two years of doing organizing and the term "people's budget" just hits a little better. There are a lot less syllables, and I think people really resonate that you know our tax dollars and our resources. That's our decision. That that's our community's funding. So, looking at any process that's led by the people, I think that the like the the term "people's budget" really hit better with folks. Um, So, you know, we kind of did a lot of our organizing by following a house party approach. And a lot of that started online doing virtual house parties where we asked folks like if you could uh, spend a million dollars in your neighborhood with this ARPA money, how would you spend it? And we brought together Uh, neighbors across neighborhoods, across computer screens and different public parks when we could social distance safely. And folks had really a lot of amazing ideas from public restrooms to mobile mental health crisis to speed tables on their table uh, on their streets. And, you know, during 2021, there was a mayoral campaign and uh, several members of city council were up for election. So we started lobbying those folks running and and meeting with our our council people and really pushing for a portion of ARPA to be designated to to PB so that residents of Cleveland would have the power to decide how some of that money could get spent. And so it's been kind of a a journey because we followed this legislative path for a year and a half, but ultimately, even though the mayor and four women on city council co-sponsored legislation to pilot PB in Cleveland with $5 million dollars. Uh, the rest of city council, uh, was not supportive and that legislation was tabled, but you know, you have a five hour finance committee meeting and you, you know, in a city where two or three people don't vote and each of the council people go down the line and say, we don't need more civic engagement. We were elected to do that. You know, there are a lot of people who were activated by that. Andre himself got involved in the coalition earlier this year as a response to some of the community, you know, watching those committee meetings or seeing in the news that it was tabled um, really kind of lit, lit a fire under some people. And we, we have bylaws as a, a volunteer run uh campaign and we voted and you know the majority of people thought that we should go to the ballot so since may uh we have converted to you know a a grassroots coalition that's trying to get on on the ballot and we're very excited to share that we did get on the ballot um and, and yeah, so the charter amendment that's on the November ballot in Cleveland would actually institutionalize PB as a direct democracy tool that would ensure that Cleveland residents ages 13 and up uh, have some form of power to make decisions about how to spend 2% of the city's budget. Um, and in six weeks, PB Cle organized over 180 supporters who gathered over 10,000 signatures 6,400 of those signatures were valid and certified by the Board of Elections, and we needed just over 5,900. Um, so it was really exciting to meet that goal without needing a cure period. And we also registered almost 1,000 folks to vote, and this was leading up to the special election. Um, so we're really kind of trying to catch our breath and, and enter this final phase of the campaign because we're trying to get out the vote and trying to mobilize residents to vote uh, yes on the PV charter amendment.
1: Thank you so much. What a great Explanation of the history there. Um, So I'm a little bit newer to policy matters, and I also do not live in Cleveland, so I'm not super informed on this specific issue. And honestly, I don't know much about participatory budgeting in general. Uh, So could you explain, like, what participatory budgeting really looks like? You know, like how would you explain it to a child (laughs) to get at least like the broad terms? And also, where has this been implemented? Like are there examples of it working in other areas?
3: I love that question. Andre, you're the one with the six-year-old. How would you describe uh, PV to Aiden?
2: <laughs> I can say this to you. Can you guys imagine having $1 million that you can spend in your neighborhood, in your community, on anything that you like to see? How about would you like to see new swings in your park? Would you like to see an air conditioner in your your school? Would you like to have new flower pots on your street? You know, imagine anything that you would like to have that your, your council person or your mayor does not give you as a citizen. No, can you imagine just taking $1 million and just spending it just on you, yourself, and the community that's how i'll describe it and you come together in a in a group and you discuss what issues or what what um proposals you like to have and and then you vote on it and then you then you see it work that's how i would describe it you know what about you guys when you love to see or have the opportunity to discuss spending your own tax dollars in your own community?
0: 100 percent. yes yeah toy that's a beautiful vision i love yeah leading with uh stuff people can really see like illustrate it out
2: um it makes a lot that makes a lot of sense to make it tangible and, and, and we're not asking that much we've got to realize that the cleveland budget the revenue's coming in is 1.9 billion dollars 1. billion dollars and then they have an operating fund out of that which is 720 million dollars and we're just asking for two percent just two percent
3: i think something that's important to add add to like when we say asking for two percent it's really not you know the charter amendment is like hey this is a process that would be mandated to use to determine how two percent of our existing budget is spent Um, I think something that's really exciting about PB is that I think it has the opportunity to change people's conception on what political participation can look like. I think normally people just you know, grow up in intergenerational poverty or living wherever they live in Cleveland and are thinking like the same things what we see happening year after year, but like nothing's different. And I think a lot of PB is like, there are other tools that we can use in our democracy to try and get people engaged. I don't think it's effective to shame and blame people for not voting. Like, the data tells us like people mistrust government. So what are we going to do about that? What role does giving people direct power play, um, in building trust and how are we trying to change people's conception of like having a say means maybe voting on a ballot on 10 projects that you're ranking and, instead of, um, choosing a person's name, and I would add too, you know, the Charter Amendment creates a steering committee of residents of Cleveland who act kind of like as a board of election for the for the community budgeting process. They'd write some guidelines on how the voting would work. Um, and how that takes place, like at the neighborhood level and actually building in time and resources to do that level of engagement with folks. Um, and then giving folks like the opportunity to brainstorm those ideas. And then those ideas have to be vetted into proposals because they have to be, you know, on uses that public dollars can be spent. But what's cool too, in the charter amendment is like 2% across the whole city. Um, but a lot of like you know the values of pb is that like this needs to be done equitably, which could mean that neighborhoods that have um survived redlining or other systemic inequities could see more dollars per person. and the steering committee's job isn't to be like another subcommittee that makes funding decisions. their job is to create a process that ensures that every resident like has a chance to vote for those city for those city projects.
0: actually, yeah that that'd be a good place to. To maybe to dive a little deeper and and I love you, Molly. You're like hitting all, so many of the questions that we laid out. You're like you're like you're like I'm going to answer this ahead of time. <laughs> I'm going to answer this ahead of time. I love it. We're going to come back to some of this stuff for sure. But, but yeah, I just could you spell out like exactly how would this work? So the you know two percent of the general fund would be set aside. And then this uh, this bot, how would those group of people be determined? They're not going to be elections for the, for those seats, right? They're going to be determined by a certition, is what I believe, or selected by a lot. Is that correct?
3: So unfortunately, the civic lottery didn't make it into the legislation. Given the fact that the oh, budget okay. cycle happens annually and the amount of time for like mm-hmm. per resident steering committee term limit, it it, it wasn't. Um, in the legislation, even though I think that it would be amazing to see a civic lottery determine, uh, you know, just beyond jury duty to have like some other civic lottery process to to determine someone's place on a committee or some other civic function. Um, mm-hmm. So in the legislation there, it's an 11 person steering committee and, and the Charter Amendment writes out that there should be an open application. These are like the demographics and the type of experience that you would want. Um, for folks serving on this committee and, uh, one of the slots would be for a city staff person who kind of works as a staff liaison to the steering committee and then five are appointed by the mayor and five are appointed by city council. And, um, their job is to create a process where they basically are working with community-based grassroots groups and different community groups to form a schedule on where would, um, idea sessions take place, you know, like what sorts of community events could you put on that could get the local art scene involved and, um, actually taking this opportunities to people's doors and also, you know, doing this in high schools for kids who might be in a government class, you know, they might have an idea session in their gym that day, or they'll have the ballot at the end of the process. Um, and about six months of the process after ideas are generated, those have to be vetted into proposals and the steering committee sets criteria to kind of, um, pare down the number of ideas. And then ultimately there would be ballots by neighborhood cluster um, and people would vote, you know, ranked choice voting, say it's a ballot of 15 projects and you have to rank the top seven. And that would be available online, it would be available as a printed ballot. And, you know, cities like New York um, and Chicago and Durham, North Carolina, Seattle, Los Angeles are all doing PB. And it's really cool to look at the different rule books of other communities of residents who made the, the, the kind of rule book of how the process works. And they like have a voting month or some cities do a voting week. And there are just like all these different ways of kind of deciding as a committee, like what's the best way to do more accessible voting? Or how can we increase our chances of turning up turnout? Because it's not just, you know, we're not replicating any sort of election for, you know, Um, a representative official, this is kind of a community-based process that that gets to um, make up the rules for how that could look in Cleveland.
2: And and each one of those cities that Molly uh, mentioned, their voting participation has increased since they have added to PB, especially the PB um, campaign, their, their voting has increased in those cities. Yeah, that's a
0: really important piece. Um, Obviously, voter turnout in Cleveland has been low, uh, to put it lightly, over the last couple of years. Um, And for us to have success as a whole state, let alone for the community in Cleveland to to really see good things, that's a problem we're going to have to change. And, um, you know, I'm going to jump ahead to a question. We we have a bunch of good questions. Um, Hopefully we can get through all of them. But uh, Molly, you had mentioned how like trust in government is really low and we're living in a time defined by the sort of a crisis of legitimacy that our institutions are going through uh, with record, you know, record levels of distrust in government. Um, and so I was wondering, how do you think this fits into that landscape? How do you think this is going to increase civic participation, um, you know, increase people's uh, sort of... Willingness to get involved in, in civic life and voting more broadly.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really deep problem that we have, and I think that we need to be bringing all of our um, creativity to to bringing people into a relationship with how they identify to their community. And, you know, I think living in a state like Ohio, it's not, you know, if you live elsewhere, where, you know, a city where you have a lot of voter turnout or you don't have like, you have more representation because you don't live in a state that is as gerrymandered as Ohio. um, You know, I think the term like democracy building is just kind of like a very neutral, benign term to most people. And I think it's been kind of intense to, you know, live in a reality where like basic concepts around democracy building and, you know, have seemed so charged politically, that's something that, you know, seems very normal to people in other places, like a seen as like, oh, this is deeply political. And I think we're like living in an age where like, yeah, like, demo- like fighting just for basic democracy is now a politicized thing. Um, and yeah, I think that especially for young people, like one of the things that I think is so promising about PB is it's really focusing on how are we changing um, folks' notion of what political participation looks like. And there are a lot of first time voters and young people now who are like, oh, like politics to them is signing a ballot initiative and like going to the ballot to vote on issues about things that are like very specifically it's taken their lives. And I find that exciting because I think that on one hand, it's really scary because you're like, we're really using like the most direct tool remaining for people to have a voice collectively uh, in terms of like ballot issues. Um, But I also think it's exciting because you're you're building like a new on ramp or a new way that people are like, oh, like I could work in city government because, you know, maybe the people who run for office in the future for council positions are running on a pro-democracy platform or got involved at 18 Um, you know, we did a bunch of organizing events at some local high schools in Cleveland and a couple of our paid canvassers were people who were like newly adults registered to vote and they canvassed with us in June and got paid to collect signatures or, you know, some of their first like political campaign volunteer time was, you know, collecting signatures with us at pride and, um, and I think that's really, really important. And I think that we live in a time, too, where there's a lot of corporate monopoly control over our democracy. And I think that there are a lot of people who look at how our government spends money and see like the suffering and the lack of basic needs. in um, on like every, you know, in every neighborhood of Cleveland and, and wonder, like, well, what is that disconnect? And I think, you know, it means something to say, hey, like part of doing things equitably, like means actually giving up something, right? Like, it's not just saying, here's the policy. It's like, no, like here's 2% of our budget. Their city council doesn't have veto power over it. We're putting trust in the people that folks voting on these projects still get implemented. And I think that that speaks to people. Um, you know, I collected over 700 signatures in June for this, ballot initiative campaign. So I like to say that I actually had like a statistically significant sample and I was blown away at how many people, you know, who weren't registered to vote, registered to vote. Cause I was like, you can, you have to be registered to vote in order for us to know you're a person so we can get the signature validated. I said, I'm not trying to get you to vote on this. Yes. I would love for you to vote for this if it got on the ballot in November, but this is really to help us qualify. And I think people saw like, yeah, this is another sort of way where like every voice matters. Um, and there were people I met who, you know, were like extremely conservative, but felt like some sort of connection to this idea of like decentralized decision-making, like at the community level. And I think something like PB is something where it's like, no, this isn't like a liberal or conservative democratic Republican thing. This is something like more neutral about resources and, um, having a say. And, and I think that it's kind of exciting to me to look, you know, at the potential to look at Cleveland terms. Out in November. Um, and, and, you know, our goal is to increase voter turnout over time, but I'd be really interested, you know, just from a voter perspective, if who would vote in support or against it, I think it kind of transcends um, party lines in a way, because people find different I- ideals uh, and values of something like direct decision making on budgeting to not be partisan. You mentioned how,
1: like, specifically in ohio it is more of an ish right when you're suggesting like promoting democracy it has kind of become this much more politically charged idea makes me think back to issue one when a lot of Republicans were claiming that we were trying to California, Ohio using California as a verb. Um, and a lot of you know the places that you listed where this is already implemented, that would be the claim that they would make as well. Um, what other like messages are you hearing to like undermine what you're trying to do and how are you combating those?
3: I'd love to hear Andre's take on
2: this. I know he gets
3: a lot of
2: the neighborhood scoop. Let me take one thing that I definitely do not like is when our city council or the city council president stand up in front of people and say that we the people do not have the smart or the where about about how we should budget or where our money should be spent. And I always say this about people, everybody knows how to budget their uh, money because they have homes, they they work, and, and it's not fair to say, well, I'm here, just because we elect you doesn't mean that you have all the power over us to do whatever you say. These individuals forget, when I say individual elected officials, forget that they work for us. And you need to come back and talk to us and ask us, well, what would you like? How would you done? Or what would you like to see instead of taking it upon themselves to make decisions? You know, we're people, we know what we like in our community. And that's one thing that the people budget will give people and give people the opportunity to come out and vote because they are actually going to see things done in their community, you know, wow. We sat down, we came as a group of individuals. We didn't argue, we didn't fight. We all listened to each other, we voted. And look, in less than a year, our project's gonna be done, Then, then if the project is done, they feel like they accomplished something, you know? So that's what people budget about. And the thing I don't like is when city council or any government entity says that we the people don't have the right to think for ourselves or do for ourselves. Because we're elected them to think and do for us, but no, we're elected you to represent us and come back to us and ask us what we like to see and done.
3: I think you point out an important distinction, Andre. Like. What, what is representative democracy and its relationship to all decision making that gets made and like the role of people in elected office versus direct ways for people to participate? And I, I do think there is a distinction um, that you're not you're not replacing or are our voice. Right. You are representing that. And, um, you know, I think that um, in Cleveland in particular, some of the opposition to this charter amendment, uh you know they frankly use some scare tactics saying this could lead to massive layoffs and cuts to the budget of essential services and and a lot of people you know have reached out to pb clee and they're like this doesn't sound right like can you give me the details like i think it is kind of like do, do you really expect people to buy that you know when you look at how we spend money on other things or just like we're not talking about the entire budget through pb we're talking about um just a portion of it. And a lot of, and you know, I just think it's kind of interesting, this undertone of like, are we really thinking that if this is a process for 2% that what the people would want should be so radically different from what council would want? And I think like there that there's a difference there. I, I think when you think about PB as a, a process to kind of uplift, prioritize and say, here's direct decision-making, like there should be quite a big, a big overlap if, if people are participating in a process where they're like, what is our city government there to, to do?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an excellent point. Um, can, James, yeah, can, sound right?
2: yeah. Yeah, can I give you a sample of what we're talking about, direct democracy or or what elected officials want? I live in a community called um, Lee Harvard um, and the political subdivision is called War One. We have a partial land that old oh, school building was on and we the people like to see uh, intergeneration park generation park on that land, okay? City Hall has made a decision that they want housing. And we're like, no, we don't want housing. So now this is an argument between the people and the elected officials. And it should not be that way. Once again, it's just, you should listen to what we're saying because we've been living here. I've been living in my community 46 years. We don't need no more housing. We need parks. We need things where people... Can benefit off of, so that's when we say, you know, there's a misdirection of understanding what what we want as the people than what they want. So we they, we all got to get on the same page, and right now these elected officials are not on the same page as the people.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I I feel like a lot of times elected officials, like you said, forget that they're here to really represent the, their constituents, not to sort of lord over them not to you know be the king of their district but or the queen or something but you know but just to be another one of the people who's they sent to you know make sure that the will of of the uh, of the people is 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 enacted um and uh yeah so I, it, it is striking that there's a lot of um sort of just latent mistrust you can see the assumptions that folks have when they're just terrified of giving everyday people um you know more more say and more agency and you've mentioned this a little bit but I was wondering if we could get into this, like what are some of the opposition messaging that you're hearing about you know some of the 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 scare tactics like what what are folks saying could go wrong with this and what do you all say in response
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big arguments is that we elect representatives to to pass the budget and to make those decisions for us. Um, but I think a lot of what PB Clee has highlighted is that like, what does representation mean in a city where two or three people don't vote? And what does it look like to use other tools in the democracy toolbox to be like, how are we um how are we trying to repair that? Um over time. And so I think the representation argument, but you know, that, and just kind of a, an ideological sense, but when you like look at the local data on that, um, I, I also think that it's just been interesting how there's been such like a scarcity reaction. Like, I think some of the scare tactics used to say that like, um, like the but we're going to have to make the these cuts and and other essential services are going to have to be cut i feel like is something that we've been hearing a lot in the media um and you know i do think some of the criticism of, of pb is um you know, people assume that those who are already politically engaged will kind of take over the process, that this is like just a new platform, you know, one of the opposing council people called it an activist tax saying that like the usual suspects are going to be the one, um, to kind of take over the process that like, if this happens, are there going to be pickleball courts in a new gentrifying neighborhood, or are we actually going to be like spending the, you know, the would projects that be selected be ones that are like Benefiting people that need those resources most in their community, um, and you know PBCL really took that to heart, right? Like, I think if you look at some cities that do PB, you like they are happening in gentrified areas, and I think that there is a the wave of more progressive policy happening in gentrified liberal spaces. But the thing is, is like the history of the U.S. doing PB is only like ten to fifteen years old. You know, there are that you know tons of cities globally that have done this somewhere between like two to 5% of Paris's budget, um, is determined through PB and they use a civic lottery. And I think like, we have to appreciate the fact that like we are incorporating feedback from other communities that said, Hey, you know, doing capital and programmatic spending can make PB more equitable paying people for their time would help make it more equitable. Um, you know, there are all these different things that cities that said, Hey, we needed more resources to do this effectively. And so when you write a charter amendment, you're like, okay, how do we create more resources to make sure this is done effectively? And I think that, you know, part of this, you know, some people scoff at like, oh, this, we can't afford our, like our budget can't afford experimentation, but like democracy is an an experiment. One that's failing in Ohio compared to other States. And that's the bad, that's bad. And that that requires action on our behalf. And I think that there's a lot that we're learning from cities across the country on how you're making up for, institutional harm and repair um and providing new creative ways for people to get involved and i think it would be a great opportunity for the city to have um new data to to contribute to the growing field of people um doing a people's budget um and you know there's also been miscommunication on the charter amendment that like a an unele- a shadow government would be created, an unelected, unaccountable group of people. Um, and that's just confusing because it's like, well, the steering committee, even though it's open to the public, like half get appointed by city council. So there's accountability there. And I mean, Cleveland residents signed the petition to get this on here. I don't know who the outsiders are, this unaccountable group. I think that that's kind of offensive to residents who think that the idea is on what could be changed or improved in their their neighborhood like warrants you know their own dignity as people in a community warrants that and speaking to the dignity piece too like you don't have to be a US citizen to participate in PB. You don't have to be 18 years old. There's nothing that's saying you can't be currently incarcerated and vote on a PB ballot. And I think it's about considering the whole community and knowing that like a, a lot of people who are pro-democracy are like, we should be prioritizing our resources for the people who need them most and maybe dev- designing a process and including participation of people who've been falling through the cracks of our systems would be a great way to build tr- to build trust. Um, I'm gonna pause and let Andre add because I feel like every shadow mess or like every <laughs> oppositional argument I'm trying to turn around and I know that wasn't the question. <laughs>
2: Here's a good one that they put out on their scare poll, and it was that we're going to allow 13-year-olds youth decide on how to spend taxpayer dollars or government dollars. And I'm like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that we're going to allow 13-year-olds to take part of a voting process. How can they – they can come – and speak out and say what they would like to see in their community. How many 13-year-olds would like to see new basketball courts? How many 13-year-olds would like to see new um new equipment at playgrounds? How many 13-year-olds who play sports and football would like to see new uniforms for their for their schools? You know? And so what I did, I took my son voting. I took my son to go vote and I took a picture and I said it, I put it on Facebook and I said, this is what it looks like when you allow young people to go vote. They learn, they're learning the process, you know, don't, don't use scare tactics towards me because I not turn it around back on them, but there's nothing wrong with young people getting involved in the system. This is, this will help them become productive adults when they get 18 years old. So that's one thing I hate when they be saying. Then another thing, once again, Molly mentioned it. These people will be spending the money. The 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 uh, steering committee will have control of the money. No, the people will make the decision. The steering committee is only there to make sure that the process is working. That make sure that the that you're getting your ballots. Make sure the people are understanding how this process work. Once again, making sure that each community knows where to meet at that's their, their job. They're, they're not in control of no money of anything. And none of us going to get any money. It's the people who make the decision. That's why it's called the people's budget.
3: One of the things I love about the, like, 13-year-olds shouldn't be able to vote. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure most women get their period under 18, and if we can have laws that like are dictating what people do with their bodies under that age, like,
2: mm.
3: you know, I think a teenager I- that's able to vote for free tampons and pads in a public bathroom or something like that, I, yeah, I just don't think that that argument really holds Um, you know, something that's really important is that like, I I do think that there are going to be a lot of issues with, there are going to be issues with implementing PB, right? Like anything that you're doing in government, like, I don't think we've ever really felt that like, oh, this is a silver bullet to all of the issues in our community, but this is just one tool. And this is one practice that we can institutionalize in the community that can have a lot of benefits. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're looking from the perspective of an elected official like I do, when someone has asked me like, oh, if I wanted to like have this specific PD project idea, like that's not a guarantee that it's gonna win, right? Like you're actually saying, hey, I am looking at this democratic process and understand that this is one idea among, you know, 500 that might come in that then have to be categorized by issue area. And then like there's a ballot, like people kind of have to let go of their attachment to what they're trying to do. And it's for the beautiful, like the beautiful value of being like I'm putting that idea in the hat with what other ideas that. Um, residents have. And maybe some of those ideas are similar and they'll be grouped together. Like, I think that part of participating in the process is detaching on the outcome, but having faith that you believe in the steps of that process.
2: And that you have a choice. It's all about having a choice and decision and being able to express yourself. We, we, we say, I say that PB Cleave is, uh, it has three things that I like community engagement, Transparency, and I forgot my third one, but it'll come back to me. Demor- I'm sorry. I'm no, democracy. Okay. It's community engagement, democracy, and transparency. That's what people budget will bring to the people. That sounds like three things that Cleveland needs
0: desperately. <laughs> and, I, and I love the way that you spoke about um uh, in, involving young people, because across our cities, across our, our country, Coming out of the COVID crisis pandemic, young people have been really, really hurting, and we're seeing that rising levels of uh, violence with young folks, and mental health challenges, and uh, all sorts of all sorts of things that the schools are going through, that our neighborhoods are going through, and uh, so yeah, so I love the idea of empowering young people to be agents in in, you know, in what's going on, rather than just uh, um, you know criminalizing young people. And fear-mongering about young people. um, And adding, I was going
1: to add on to that, James, too, like there aren't many places for kids to do anything anymore, right? Like we have made it so that everything needs to bring in profit where you know this park that andre was mentioning that they would like to build they're like oh no we'll make housing instead and i just think it has made for so few places for kids to gather and such and so including them in the process and giving them not only will it lead to their you know civil engagement and trust in that system more but also just gives them a voice to say what they need
0: um one more question i had uh it's just, you you've touched on it a little bit, but you mentioned how you you spoke with I think maybe like about twenty thousand people and got ten thousand signatures, and um, you know did all this work over the summer, the last several months, having conversations with people in Cleveland. Um, so I was wondering, like, what were some lessons that you were taking out of those conversations? Um, and I know a, a lot of those people who signed were, like you said, weren't registered to vote, maybe aren't regular voters. Um, so, you know, what were some lessons that you were taking away from those conversations this summer?
2: I I can say this. What I learned is that people are more smarter than what elected officials think. People want to be engaged. People want you to ask them questions. People want to tell you what they like to see. So that's what I learned. Give people the opportunity to express their feelings and their thoughts. And, uh, and opinions and respect those opinions. When, as we went through the city, Molly would tell you, most people were saying, well, why not more? Why Why are we only asking for 2%? Let's let's do more, you know? And, and people was enthused. oh, this is a people budget and I get an opportunity to say about projects and stuff that I'm not able to say when I go to a meeting. Oh yeah, I love this. You know, so what I learned out here is to give people the opportunity to express it their opinions and listen to people's thoughts and views. Go ahead Molly.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's so much to reflect on. I, you know, I think something that was kind of beautiful is that like people, and maybe this goes into what you said, Andre, Andre, that, you know, people are smarter than people give them credit for. I think it's really interesting how much people understand power. Um, they, I think, understand when they don't have it. And I think they understand that, I don't know, maybe like in the spirit of Frederick, Frederick Douglass, that like power will concede nothing without a demand. And I was surprised by people's willingness to be like, Oh, you know, I think there's a difference between apathy around things changing and people like having the opportunity to, to challenge power maybe. And I something I still need to kind of tease out, but I, um, And I don't know, maybe it's because like, I'm getting the signature. So this is someone who's saying yes, but I would say like for for every signature I got, like there was a no. Right. Um, and and that, and I don't really know what the data is, but you get a lot of no's. And I mean, I think part of it is you're going to a a beach on the holiday weekend and people are like, (laughs) I had some people being like, it's my day off. Like, I just don't want to like engage sort of thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think back to the power thing, I think that it was kind of inspiring that people are like, what's in it for you? Like, what's your self interest? Or like, if someone would ask me, like, why are you doing this? I think it was kind of like a foreign thing. And I think that You know, we were also out during the same summer where folks were getting signatures for repro, getting signatures for marijuana. And I think among some people, there was this fatigue of like, not fatigue, but just like, there are a lot of y'all out here. Right. And I think that like that sort of presence or that sort of like awareness of like, oh, that's how things are now. Like that for a lot of people, wasn't something that was like very normal. Um, I think kind of shifted something politically, at least for some people to kind of like question like, oh, what's your self interest in this? Right. And, um, And, you know, I think that I have personal reasons for that question, right? Like I want to see more of like when I have young people in my life coming to me being like, what do I do outside of college or high school? Like, I think it's good to be, to have something where I'm like, oh, well, normally it feels hard to recommend something where I'm like, you're going into an institution and a power system that's like not changed and needs uh, to be dismantled or needs to be reformed, needs to be, you know, on it a little bit more honest about power dynamics. And I think that something like PB is like, oh, this is like a um you know a way to kind of change that a bit or to to offer that um and i don't know i feel like i kind of have to sit with what else we were observing i think that people were aware that like oh you know with the special election coming up that like there are people out and um and yeah i mean i will also say that like with you know the number of mass shootings there have been this year like it is kind of intense to be out in big groups of people and there are i think a lot of people who like just don't want to engage in politics and like i think that being out and having conversations and kind of like challenging a culture that i think is becoming like increasingly more um anonymized in some ways you know i just think with the mental health crisis of folks from the pandemic and then even just like the way that like the concept of getting signatures seems like really scary for some people. To me, it felt like we're trying to invite something that might be healthy for us, which is like having conversations with people that maybe you normally wouldn't have. Um, and having that dialogue and trying to find some sort of unity among something. Um, I felt very encouraged that that could happen and it takes a lot of work. Um, and I think it speaks to like the importance of knowing your community and like building organizing in your community.
2: And another thing that I've learned is that people are more interested in issue oriented um, ballots than they are about candidates. They rather hear something about an issue than a candidate. They rather speak to you about an issue than sit there and talk to a candidate, you know. So they're more perceived better to do an um, a issue oriented ballot. That's what I learned.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Um, So our last question here, uh, regardless of the outcome uh, coming up here for PB CLE, you are both engaged in long-term efforts to expand democracy and civic participation in Cleveland. Can you tell us more about your vision for Cleveland beyond just PB CLE?
2: My vision for Cleveland is, is the vision through my kids. I like to see my kids have a wonderful place to live, somewhere where they can enjoy their their rest of the remainder of their lives. That's what I like to see, you know. So everything that I have done or doing is not for me, but it's for the children and the people in the city of Cleveland. They can enjoy themselves because we're all one big family, and that's what we need to be—one big family enjoying themselves in this city. That's what I'm envisioning.
3: It's very optimistic, DeAndre. I love that. I know you mean that. It's been really fun working with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in like growing more collective power. I think that there are a lot of people in this campaign who are like, okay, that's how you run a ballot initiative. Like, I wonder when we'll have to do that again. <laughs> or maybe we have to do it at the state level. Like, I think it's really growing an organizing muscle. And I think it's also doing something that I think is important in smaller cities like Cleveland, which is like, there aren't that many organizers. There aren't that many activists, but even if there are, like, there are a lot of different issues that impact people directly, and a lot of different issues in social justice movements. And I think, like, coming together, despite issue to be like, Hey, what are our like common grounds? Like what's our like organizing strategy as a community to build more power? And how do we translate that statewide? Because a lot of what gets denied locally, like has deeper systemic reasons that are, you know, decisions that are made at the state house or even nationally. And I'm interested in how this kind of builds up a muscle, um, of building direct democracy power when we need it. If we know that there's a lot happening, um, where that needs to, uh, to be fought and, and yeah, for people to come across issue and no matter um, what matters to them, whether it's homelessness or just west seventy third and you know you know their block um, and around something common, I think is a good way to like build the muscle for people to be activated on a more collective sense when we need it..
0: Beautiful. Thank you both so much. Um, and thank you for joining joining us for this conversation. before we let you go, Where can folks go to follow up, get more information to plug into the the campaign?
3: www.pbclee.com. And we're also on social media. If you search PB Cleveland, um, we're having lots of house parties over the next month. And we're trying to grassroots fundraise to make this campaign happen. So folks go to pbclee.com. They could donate or they could subscribe to get campaign updates from us. And there's also a little road trip opportunity in Cleveland. If folks want to come up on September the twenty sixth, there's going to be a public debate at Public Auditorium at six p.m. on PB.
2: <laughs> and if you have relatives, family members, good friends, spread the word to them and tell them come out and support PB Cleveland, the city of Cleveland. We really appreciate it.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate y'all and everything you're doing in Cleveland to bring people together, try to really expand democracy, give people a reason to come out and vote this November um, and going forward. I know I li- both Sarah and I live in Columbus, but it's very clear to me that the destiny of Ohio um, depends on the ability for Cleveland to really uh, revi- revitalize its civic participation. So really really appreciate y'all taking this fight on this summer um and i think we we might we we might come up to cleveland i don't know we we definitely want to want to follow up um after november at the very least um but maybe we'll come up uh when y'all are having that debate that might be a fun time to uh, a fun event to crash
1: Thanks again to Molly and Andre for being on today's episode. Visit whatsgoodohio.com for show notes and links to check out Phoebe Clee and subscribe to What's Good Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time to keep talking about what's good here in Ohio.